Hello and welcome to Pinnacle Financial Advisors' inaugural podcast program. In this podcast, you'll hear from Jeff Brenner of Intellisys Corporation, a forensic investigation firm, about steps you can take to protect yourself from identity theft and fraud. This program is presented as a service for clients and friends of Pinnacle Financial Advisors. For more information on Pinnacle Financial Advisors, please call Pat at Pinnacle at 856-797-8082, extension 222, or email info at pfacentral.com. You can also visit Pinnacle's website at www.pfacentral.com. This program was recorded June 6th in Voorhees, New Jersey, and runs about one hour. To set the stage for Jeff Brenner's presentation, we spent a few moments with Jeff Metz and Harry Scheyer, the partners in Pinnacle Financial Advisors, to get their perspective on this series of podcast programs for their clients. With us today on the podcast are Harry Scheyer and Jeff Metz. They are the partners in Pinnacle Financial Advisors, which is a wealth management advisory firm located in Marlton, New Jersey, and Ballackinwood, Pennsylvania. They've been in practice since 1991. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Harry and Jeff. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Let's start first with the reason that Pinnacle decided to conduct a conference on identity theft for its clients. What was the driving force behind that conference? And speaking with our clients and counseling them over the years. They had a number of questions and concerns regarding the protection of their identity and credit information. The reason now that we decided to choose this is because there have been a number of publicized identity theft stories in the news, such as the Veterans Administration loss of records. Also, actually, a couple weeks before the conference, I may have been a victim of identity theft. I received a letter from my professional organization, the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, letting me know that a computer hard drive was lost that had the records of all the members, including our social security number. And they were alerting us about this possibility. When I received that letter, it really made me feel pretty vulnerable. I felt that this was an important topic that had to be addressed. So what are some of the steps you're advising your clients to take to protect themselves from identity theft? Well, the most important step they could take is initially obtain one of the free credit reports for themselves and their spouse. And secondly, to enroll in a credit monitoring service that would enable them to receive information on any inquiries that are made using their credit background. We put a very high value on our client's confidentiality. We wanted to make sure that all the client's other financial intermediaries are doing the same. And if not, what the clients can do to protect themselves. We want to put them on notice that their their identity information is out there. Unfortunately, there are things you can protect yourself with, but it's never going to be enough. The most important thing to know is what to do when identity theft occurs. They have to be on guard. What this conference is about is having them understand how to do that and what they need to know. What are you hoping to achieve with the programs? This is the first seminar and what will be a series of seminars in the future. What would you like your clients to take away from that? We spend a lot of time with our clients on the quantitative aspects of their financial lives. But what we are unable to do in our normal quarterly meetings is bring them content related to the qualitative aspects of their lives, both financial as well as family. And we'd like to be able to bring them speakers that will help them understand 
how the money fits in with the rest of their lives and their family. So you're taking more of a holistic view of their financial lives. Absolutely. In fact, although the clients come to us and that we say that they turn their financial lives over to us, what they're also asking us for is counsel on what aspects of their financial lives that affect others, both emotionally as well as financially. And those are the areas that we think we can add value. Thanks to Harry Shayer and Jeff Metz for joining us. And now let's get to... Jeff Brenner's presentation. Jeff is the U.S. Director of Operations for Intellisys. He's responsible for all investigations and due diligence assignments in the United States. He started his investigative career at Intellisys after 14 years in Philadelphia and southern New Jersey as a commercial trial lawyer and a corporate mergers and acquisitions attorney. Today, Jeff focuses his practice on corporate due diligence investigations, which he conducts for hedge funds, merger and acquisition firms, and venture capital firms. Using the same skills he developed as a litigator, Jeff also manages and conducts internal investigations for Fortune 500 companies and provides investigative litigation support services to insurers and law firms throughout the country. He's the author of numerous legal and trade articles on the topic of IT security, due diligence investigations, and fraud prevention and detection. Thank you for clapping, but how do you really know I'm Jeff Brenner? <laughs> I mean, if somebody wants to my identity, they have it. I have two kids, a mortgage, and four partners, and we all can't get along, so you're welcome to. It's every day that an article or a news report is coming out about identity theft. And unfortunately for us, and I'll include myself in that, there is very little we can do from happening to you. There are some wise things that you can undertake for yourself, but in the end, and you'll see why, in the end, you're at the mercy of third parties. This is a, a cartoon that I saw the other, the other day. Actually, it was last year. Non-secretary. If you can't read it, it says, uh, there's a comment sitting at the other end. The bartender is saying, if she says thanks for the drink and we'll decide whether to talk to you or not as soon as she finishes Googling you. The too much information age. This is my life. I Google tremendous amounts of data all day long, looking for tidbits about people that I'm investigating. Clients come to us and ask us to do background checks. People come and ask us to do investigations of current employees that they think are uh, committing fraud within the company. And there's lots and lots of data out there. I can get access to a lot of it because I have a, an attorney's license. I have a private investigator's license. And I also am trained on knowing where to look. You can stumble on a lot of, the inf on a lot of that information yourself by Googling certain things about people, yourself included. But a lot of the data is sanitized. But there are public records you can find this information, and those public records are being used by thieves to turn themselves into you. Some recent identity theft headlines. Um, the VA administration, just about a week or two ago, 26.5 million veterans had their data affected. A data, ana data analyst from the VA took a laptop home unauthorized, uh, and it was stolen out of his house. Now you say, all right, you know, it was, first of all, he was unauthorized. So he shouldn't have taken it home, but these things happen. Why didn't the VA encrypt the data so that nobody could read it if they took that computer, started using it? They would open it up and it would be just numbers on a screen. They didn't do that, so now they have to send notices to all the VA the veterans uh, and explain to them that your information has been compromised. 26.5 million people. DSW, uh, they also had a situation where their credit card information was of the database, and many of you may have received letters saying, I'm sorry, your credit card number was you know, compromised. Not that it's been used, but it's been compromised. We have no idea if it's going to be used later. Blockbuster, this is a very interesting one because in New York City, 
the Blockbuster video store in Manhattan just took all of the customer applications, the paper forms, and put them out back for the trash. Somebody stumbled on it, and then they started blowing around. The police got a hold of it and you know, cleaned it up, but some of it disappeared. Wachovia Bank of America, Commerce Bank, they had their data compromised by insiders. Uh, we're working a case now with a law firm in South Jersey who has brought suit on behalf of many of the customers of these, of these banks. The information was taken by insiders, sold to a debt collector, who then turned around and said to lawyers and debt collection companies, I can get any information you want about you know, Jane Doe, John Doe's bank account information. I have access. And he was selling the information. So now we are involved in litigation over whether or not the banks did anything wrong. Did they screen their employees properly? Uh, but the information left via an employee. It wasn't somebody hacking into the system. It wasn't uh, uh, you getting a prepaid or pre-approved credit card application at home. This was tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this case, taken by insiders. But I have solved the problem for us. Here's the way we're going to solve this problem. Six easy steps. Don't get sick. Don't have kids. Walk everywhere. Eat your home with wood. Use cash and keep it in your mattress. And live with a neighbor. And it's your personal data that's going there. If you go to your doctor, what do they have? They have your name. They have your date of birth. They have your social. They also have your medical information. Well, one nurse, one office administrator, one temp understands where the data is kept. So it sticks on the side of any computer that has a USB port. And you can suck out of the computer an entire employee file, patient file, whatever you want. You can put it on here and walk right out. Nobody's going to know it because doctor's offices, they don't have metal detectors when you come in and out. So if you, don't, if you don't get sick, you don't have to worry about somebody stealing that. If you walk everywhere because you don't have a car, you're okay. In the U.S., identity is established by three things. Your name, your date of birth, and your social security number. With those three pieces of information, you can become somebody else. It's not as easy as simply taking somebody's name, date, and social security, date of birth, and social security number, walking into a bank or a, a store and just saying, give me your credit. If you're going to steal somebody's identity, you really have to build blocks of identity factors in order to get there. And we'll talk a little bit about that. The first documented case of identity theft. Anybody have a, a guess? Very first case of documented case of identity theft. How so? Okay. It's actually Jacob as Esau. He steals the birthright. All right. So I'll, uh, a little bit of history for you. Identity theft defined. How do you steal somebody's identity? Well, the definition that the feds use by co-opting your name, credit card number, or some other piece of your personal information for their own use. Address, mother's maiden name, birth date, social security number. The federal government is very concerned about this. Uh, back in May of 2005, the Justice Department held a conference in Philadelphia, conference on how do you fight identity theft, financial crime that they're interested in prosecuting. They have so many drug cases, and there's so many other cases they want to attack. This is now becoming the high-profile case. And so they are interested in dealing with it. Some examples of the cases that they talked about, and this is, again, we're going to talk a little bit as we go further. Things like a girlfriend of one of the employees at a company said, I need to pay off these debts. Can't you steal some information from the company? And the boyfriend said, for you, anything, doll. Out it goes. This is just for love. They prosecuted an individual who was an insider at a school district. They stole 18 identities of employees at a school district. They had uh, one woman uh, create uh, some fictitious bank accounts. She worked for a bank. Her boyfriend asked her to create some fictitious bank accounts. They were able to divert money into those fictitious bank accounts. 
you know, John Doe has a legitimate account. They created another account for John Doe. We're moving monies into that. And then they were siphoning the money out of there. Again, it's for love. We had one case, again, like the Blockbuster situation, where a company took paper documents, gave it to a company to shred them, and the driver said, I'm not shredding them. I'm just going to take it to a, black, to a dark alley, which he did, left them in the back alley, was going to come back for them later, but some nosy neighbor saw that what was going on, called the police. Police waited there until the guy came back, arrested him when he returned, and they asked him, what were you going to do with it? And he says, I really don't know. I was going to go to the local bar and find out who wanted to buy the stuff from me. Cases like this are continuing to make news, at least in the legal community. They're not high profile just yet, but they're getting bigger and bigger. And you see the stupidity of some people, but that's the mentality we have. And that's why when I say there's very little you can do to protect yourself, because you can have the woman at the DSW store or the man at uh, the bank taking your information because they feel as if they're entitled to it because they need to make some more money. It's just, they're not very bright, but that's what we're dealing with. Uh, Harry mentioned some statistics, uh, the 20 28.7 million, something of that nature, in the last five years. A lot of that is not really identity theft, but more account takeover. Identity theft is when I walk in and I say I am Jeff Metz and try to get a loan, and I use Jeff's personal information. Account takeover is when you take the credit card, when you lose your wallet and somebody takes your credit card, uses it online and makes a purchase. That's what the, the, uh, the industry is treating as an account takeover, not as identity theft. So the number really is smaller than what the, you know, the, the media wants us to believe. That sells newspapers. It is an epidemic, but it's not 28 million. And the number is much smaller than that when it comes to true identity theft. It's still an annoyance. Don't get me wrong. You're still losing control of some of your personal information when you have your uh, credit card stolen or somebody opens up a cell phone in your name, it, you have to defend yourself, but it's not like your identity has been you know, taken and is being used by somebody else to get a job or to get a loan, uh, to, to bring somebody else illegally into the country as you. Those are the type of things that we really are, are worrying about as far as identity theft is concerned. Identity theft, as I was alluding to, they really establish something in your name. What they'll do is they'll get your name, date of birth, social security number, they'll, they'll get an apartment, and then they will call the utility company and using your information get an account in your name at that location. And if the deposit that they're making is cash, the utility doesn't care. They want to get their cash for the security deposit in hand. So now they've established a utility in your name that they might not otherwise been able to get. Uh, then they use that utility bill to go get a cell phone because now they have proof of residency. And now they can get themselves a cell phone. It may be prepaid. They may have to walk in with $100 to start. But after they build the credit, now they can go to a, um, a credit uh, account with the cell phone company. Then they can use those two pieces to go into a bank and say, I am really Jeff Metz. And here's my, my utility bill. Here's my, my cell phone bill. And then open up a bank account. And now you can start drawing bad checks on it. And what's going to go, it's going to happen is all that information is going to go back to Jeff Metz's credit report because now Jeff's got passing bad checks. He's not paying his utility bills. The creditors are, are calling some number somewhere, and Jeff's not answering. And it just gets reported on the, on the uh, credit bureau's credit report. And Jeff ultimately, when he gets his credit report for free, we'll talk about a, a bit about that, or he has a, one of these alert services, he'll see somebody's done something to his account. And then you can hopefully nip it in the bud early. But if you're not checking these things, this can go on for a while. Source of identity theft. I, we've, I've alluded to it. Number one source of identity theft is company records. Uh, it's not from dumpster diving. It's not you throwing it in the trash can. It's not somebody stealing it out of your mailbox. Uh, it's not hacking into your computer. Those are de minimis. They happen. They make the headlines because it's like, wow, look how exciting you know, this story is. Let's print it. 
The real story is in the company records. That's where it's coming out of. This is an example of something that I utilize. It's a database that has this kind of personal information that can get hacked, that can be stolen. What you'll see here is subject information. I put in a gentleman's name. Uh, I blacked it out, obviously, but let's just call him Kirk, Kirk Smith. Uh, Kirk Smith, I had his date of birth. I had his social. I have every address he ever lived. I also know whether he filed for bankruptcy. Does he have any property? Does he have any corporate affiliations? This is a database of information like the company called ChoicePoint. You may have heard about ChoicePoint. They're a data aggregator. They buy lots of data about you and me and everybody else. And I can pretty much get anything I need to know about any one of you in the room in less than a second. I just need your name, maybe an old address, even if it's 15 to 20 years ago. But I'm the lawyer. I'm the private investigator. I have to prove that I have a right to be in there. I get audited. Um, so I'm not concerned about people in my industry misusing it. But ChoicePoint last year had a situation where a business registered to use their service and then pilfered their database of thousands and thousands of names. Turned out that the business was fictitious. The gentleman was from Nigeria, and he was just selling this information on the black market. So even ChoicePoint, which is supposed to vet the people who get in there, can be fooled. But this information is out there, and most of you probably are in here, and maybe some of the younger generation won't be because they've gotten wise and haven't given their information out as much as we did uh, over the years. And we gave our social security numbers to somebody because they said, I need your social. What for? Oh, uh, that's how we track you. Okay, here's the social. So that data gets sold. It gets sent to an, an affiliate. That affiliate then sells it to somebody else. And then direct marketing people pick up that information. And they sort you by area code and zip code. And all that data just gets all combined. That's how it got out there in the first place. Now it's being clamped down. And a lot of what we do is getting tougher because the information is becoming harder to get. So we are, we are seeing a from our side of the, of the fence when we're trying to do fraud investigations, a little more difficult to get there. Why is it a problem? Pre-computerized records, obviously if you want to steal the employee file, you'd have to walk out of there with all the manila folders. Now you can put it on that, that thumb drive I showed you, you can walk out of there without any problem. Nobody's going to see you. It can also be accessed remotely. We have Everybody wants instant access to their bank accounts. You want to do online banking. You want to be able to buy things on eBay. You want, you want to know what your account balances are at, uh, you know, at, at your, your stockbroker's accounts. You want all that available to you at a moment's notice. And with that, we have security versus user-friendly. It's a challenge. We have to balance it. And hacking into this stuff, very difficult to do. I wouldn't be so worried about uh, banking with PNC. Their system is very heavily encrypted, very heavily protected. The only guys who are going to try to break through there are the kids who want to just prove that they can hack into anything. But that's going to be rare guy who's saying, okay, I'm administering the website, everything's working today, and oh, by the way, I'll just take 100,000 names. That's the guy you really have to worry about. It's not doing the business over the internet. It's the guy behind that computer screen. But we want our banks to be able to give us these services. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to bank with that bank. I can go to another one that gives me that access. Problem is, you end up with something like this. This was a company that was doing online sales, and I was doing some research in a fraud case, and we just Googled some information, and up popped a database of credit cards, uh, billing addresses, and email um, addresses for customers, thousands of names. And if a hacker who did what we did, did this, they now have a treasure trove of information. We immediately called this company and said, do you know what's out there? And they went, oh my goodness, shut it down. You know, we went back later that day. It was taken down, but we don't know how long that was up. An example of user-friendly versus security. So they had great access to uh, whatever goods and services they were trying to buy. At the same time, they ran into a problem where their information has been uh, compromised. As we already mentioned, or as I already mentioned, how does identity theft occur? Three principal means 
is the low-level stuff, the dumpster diving, the mailbox thefts, the stolen wallets. The information stolen by an insider is more common and more dangerous. And then there's the theft of and loss of data. Usually on a laptop, we heard about uh, the, the hard drive that Harry mentioned. There are guys like me who will give a presentation, and then when I come back, the, my laptop's gone. That happens. The Veterans Administration, that was a laptop that was stolen. So those are the three ways that identity theft that we've seen uh, occur. You don't have any control over that, other than the first line, dumpster diving, don't throw the stuff away. Put your, uh, we'll talk about mailboxes and stolen wallets, what to keep and not to keep in your, your wallet. But you're not going to be able to stop the insider you're not going to be able to stop the theft of a, of a laptop. It's just not, it's just out of your control. And that's where you're going to be hit. Part of what the Department of Justice was talking about is how identity theft occurs, what they see, because they deal more, much more with the drugs as I, than what I do. I just see lots of white collar crime. What happens here is we have what's, you know, the concierge and the manufacturer are the two people who are working together. The concierge is the guy who, sort of like the puppet master, he or she is the one who's talking to the druggies to say, look, I'm going to, you know, I need your help in getting some information out of these companies, and we're going to target XYZ company. They work their magic for a couple of months, and then finally the concierge says to the druggie, let's pull the trigger, get her to take the stuff. The concierge then facilitates getting that data to the manufacturer. The manufacturer is the guy in the basement with all the magnetic strips, the, the dummy credit cards, and the internet connection, so he can take all the information that he's getting from the concierge and ship it overseas. A lot of it goes to the former Soviet Union, goes to Africa, Lagos, I believe, is, is a popular place. So this is what the um, U.S. Attorney's Office is talking about when they are concerned for the safety of your information. This is what they're seeing. Phishing is something that you probably heard about. They send you phony emails hoping that you'll bite, that you'll see that you, oh my goodness, somebody's asking me for my bank account information. If you're going to get something like this, first of all, you better have consented to receiving email notices. If you don't remember consenting to this, then call the bank. They'll tell you whether or not they have a campaign to re-secure some data. Or if you just want to continue online, you don't want to make the phone call because you're sitting there at 2 in the morning playing with your data, go to their website directly. Don't go through the link. If it's, in fact, a situation where they want you to update your information, there's going to be a box on the front of the website that's going to say, you know, dear customers, click here to reaffirm whatever. So don't fall for the phishing scams where you will be redirected to somebody else's website and give up your information. Go to the actual provider of your information. What was interesting was I don't have a Citibank account, so I kind of knew this right away. It wasn't me. The Nigerian scam, this one's been a long, around for a very long time. It was started in letters. Uh, now they've moved to emails. Somebody claims to be a Nigerian official or the surviving spouse or a former government honcho, con artist, asks you to transfer millions of dollars to your account so that they can help you or help, you can help them invest the money or, or get it out of my war-torn country. I mean, it's a sad story, and you think, hmm, who would fall for this? Well, I had a client, a very successful real estate developer in southern New Jersey, and he came to me and he said, I got a, an email from somebody in Africa, and they said they got my name from the embassy, and I happen to know somebody at that embassy, so I'm pretty sure this is legitimate. And I want to just double check before I agree to open up these accounts and take their money in that, you know, it's legitimate. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. So just, you, you, you I don't know. What are you thinking? He said, well, this could be a life-changing thing. This guy wants to invest millions of dollars in the U.S. I know that this is the guy who used to run the country. It goes on for a while. I said, tell you what, I don't know who's going to be the bigger fraudster, this guy or me, but I'm going to charge you $300 to figure this out. So for $300 that he paid me, I took that email. This is it. I took it. I put it into Google, and it pops up with, it's a fraud. I mean, it was as easy as copying that whole paragraph and sticking it in. So I charged him $300 just to teach him a lesson. 
he was thrilled to pay the $300. I told him how easy it was to have done it, and he's since learned. So again, I don't know who's the bigger fraudster, me or this Nigerian uh, scam artist, but be that as it may, don't fall for something like this. If it's too good to be true, it is. Uh, don't, I was told uh, three things by my law school professor. Uh, never play cards with a man named Pops. Never eat at a place called Mom's. And if it looks too good to be true, it is. And so keep those three things in mind. Recent scam on this, by the way, has been we're going to wire you money or send you a check for $10,000, even though we only owe you five. You'll just cut us a check back because I didn't have time to reissue the check. Uh, when it clears, you'll you'll give us the money. You know, uh, not when it clears, but just give us the money back. So you go to the bank, you deposit it. Your bank tells you it's clear because it cleared their process. It didn't clear the bank that it was drawn on. You cut the $5,000 check. Then you find out two weeks later that your bank says it didn't clear, or, or cleared us, but it didn't clear the other bank. You owe us five grand back because you know it's not our fault. So don't get fooled for that. That's a very old scam, but it's now coming up in emails as opposed to the letter or as opposed to the people on the street. It's called a pigeon drop. They would come to you in the street and say, I won the lottery. I need you to process it for me. I need $15 to get the, the forms. It just gets involved. It's too good to be true. You're not going to make money for free. We've now talked about how horrible it is out there and how you're just not going to be able to, to protect yourself. But there are some things that are very simple to address. So you don't wake up in the morning and go, I can't believe I did that. Just want to stop that red forehead from, from being caused. Don't carry your social security card with you. Don't even write the number down. If you're going to write the number down, write it in, a such, in such a way that nobody can recognize it as a social security number. If you really need to memorize it, you know, if you don't memorize it by now, you know, see somebody else. Don't carry it with you. Limit the information you're, being, you're asked to give. I don't have insurance at my dentist's office. Every time I go in, they ask me for my social security number. I say, I don't, why do you need it? We need it for insurance purposes. I don't have insurance. We want it anyway. I'm not giving it to you. So be, be mindful of what you're giving out. Nobody uh, under the law, they can't require you to give it. You don't have to have it. The only problem is if you are going to a bank and they say, I need your social. We are not giving you anything until you give us your social. You'll have to go to another bank. But I'm sure you'll find that every bank's going to want that social because they want to run a credit check uh, on you. So there are going to be things that you're just going to have to abide by in order to get what you want. But certainly there are cases where you don't have to give it up. Install a mailbox drop inside your house instead of having it outside or get a lock on your mailbox. That way anything that goes in there, only you can get it. Make sure that if, you're, if you are going to get one of these that are locked on the outside, that it can't be easily removed because, again, with, as with the hackers who say, I just want to hack in because I can hack in and prove that I can break into the White House's website, they're going to take your mailbox because they're going to say, yeah, you think you locked it? I'll just take the whole darn thing. I'll smash it at home. So it's better to have it in the house if not, at least get one that's set in cement with a big heavy steel gauge uh, unit. They're more expensive, but figure if you do end up having your identity stolen, how much money you're going to spend trying to repair that versus how much this mailbox might cost. Cross-cut shredders, you can't shred enough. Everything you get, those prepaid um, credit cards, don't forget that in the prepaid, prepaid pre-approved credit cards or your existing credit cards, they'll send you more stuff. In those are typically uh, checks. And don't forget to open that up and shred that. You don't want to just rip it in half. Hopefully a bank teller will see that a check was ripped in half and they won't cash it. But again, who's behind the counter? You don't know. They may have a friend inside who'll just tape it and cash it for them. So don't forget to shred as much as uh, you can. Even your old stuff, if you keep your records, you say, oh, I'm just going to get rid of these records. I don't need them any longer. We did the taxes. I'm just going to throw them away. It may take you a while to shred this whole stack, but take the time to shred it. Your Social Security Administration statement, you're getting them now once a year at least. Uh, you should see that 
for X number of years you worked, this was what your salary was, this is what your taxable income, I should say, was. This is your Medicare taxable income. This is what your federal income tax income was. Check that against your actual income. This is what your wages were. If the wages were supposed to be $100,000, and that's on your W-2 or whatever other information you, you utilize, and yet the number says 120000 that means somebody's paying into Social Security on your behalf probably because they've used your social security number to get a job someplace else and have been working as you. And you have to weigh the risk. You want that person to have your identity and do something bad with it versus, gee, they're making me some money. So you get a balancing act. But nonetheless, check those social security administration statements. That's going to be a tell as to whether or not somebody's using your identity, your social, for purposes of employment. Pick up your new bank checks. Don't have them mailed to you because I know what is in those brown boxes that come from uh, the bank, and so does everybody else who wants to steal them. Even your postman knows what they are. So instead of having them mailed to the house, pick them up. Use unique passwords. How many people do uh, do business online and buy things with credit cards? Bank online? Okay. This is a very simple one. You don't want to use your name, your last name, your cat's name, whatever. Like that. You want to use something that's unique. So find whatever you like. Let's say it is your name, your full name, or an abbreviation of your name, and then change it to a numerical. So if you like the, you know, A is 1 and Z is 26, put your, you know, whatever it is, the password you want on, on a piece of paper and then put the numeric number that it corresponds to and then memorize that number. Who the heck's going to remember 17744466? It's just not possible for anybody to guess that unless they're thinking, gee, I, I heard Jeff speak once and Jeff told me this little trick and I'll try that with James. But try that. Try combining a little bit. You certainly should use names and numbers or words, letters and numbers in your passwords. But that's a one way of tricking a fraudster who does get your laptop or does get some password information or other information from your garbage or from your mailbox. They're still going to have to get access to your computer. I'm sorry, to the account online. And they're going to have to start guessing as to what it could be. If they study you enough, they might figure out that your wife's name or your kid's name is whatever, and then they may be able to break through because you're not using a good password. So try that as a, as a safety feature for online purchases or online business. But don't put credit card receipts in your shopping bag. If you get the shopping bag stolen, you lost the merchandise, but you've also lost your credit card number. Under the law now, the credit card receipts are not supposed to have the entire number, just a portion of it. However, there are swipe pads that still generate the full number. There's still some of them out there. They just they haven't been upgraded. Or if people just I'm not paying another $800 for the darn unit. You know, I'll just scratch it off the pen. But keep an eye on what you're getting back from by way of purchases. You don't want to leave them hanging around. Use encrypted secure websites when you're shopping. You want to look for the HTTPS. S standing for secured. Uh, if you're going to one of those websites that I said about the phishing, and you click on that link that they give you at the bottom and you pop up to the top and it says Bank of America and it doesn't say HTTPS slash slash colon Bank of America, it's not a secure site. No bank's going to use uh, a website that doesn't have a secure channel between you and, and them. So keep an eye on that. I wouldn't buy a grill cover for $20 with my credit card on a website that doesn't have a secured uh, link to it. Uh, use a single credit card for online purchases so at least you can keep an audit trail. Get one that only has maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars of credit on it. If it does get compromised, even though it's an annoyance, you're not going to be worrying about, oh, now I have to cancel that credit card. Everything else that is automatically paid with that credit card, I have subscriptions, I have other things tied to it. Don't worry about that. You just use one credit card with a limited amount. If you really have to buy something with a big ticket item, you want to spend $2,000 on something, uh, then you can get a single-use credit card. 
I uh, made a phone call to some of the banks, uh, some of the credit card companies, and they they do offer them. You just have to get to the right person at the company to uh, activate your single-use credit card. Uh, I called Citibank, and they offered this. Citibank's the people with the identity theft protection commercials where you see two women sitting in a chair talking about their Harleys or, or the guy on the tractor talking about uh, his new nails and, and the cute little bikini he bought. And that company offers a single-use credit card. So if you don't have a Citibank card and you want that protection, open up an account and then ask them for that single-use credit card so you can, uh, it, it's there and it's gone. So if your credit card is compromised, that number is compromised. It's useless. It can't be reused. Who has debit cards? So many people have those check cards. If you use the check cards and you want to use it for purchases at the supermarket or the grocery store, you say, yeah, I'll take $50 cash back on that on top of my purchase of the eggs and the milk. That debit card, if you lose it and somebody knows the PIN, that's money out of your bank account. Yes, they will replace it, but by then you may have bounced checks. You may have missed mortgage payments because your account has been drained. Have them put a dollar credit limit on it. So you can still use it as your Mac card. You still get your money out of the machines but you can't use it as a point of sale. You can't buy your groceries with it. Use your regular credit card or just pay cash for it. That's another way of limiting your exposure if it is stolen. Computers, they're everywhere. I'm sure you have one, if not more, in your home or your kids have one or more in their home. If you're going to get rid of it because it's been two years and now it's so slow or we had a virus and we have to throw it away, you need to destroy that hard drive. The hard drive that Harry's talking about with all of the data from the CPAs, that data should have been wiped, well, in this case it was being shipped one place, and I don't remember whether you say it was being shipped to be destroyed or being repaired, but in a situation which happened just the other day, I shouldn't say it just happened the other day, it was reported just the other day, uh, this is from MSNBC on the internet, a gentleman had his computer drive and his computer die, and he brought it back to Best Buy, and he said, Let's repair, can you get it repaired? And they said, eh, it's under warranty, we'll just give you a new hard drive. Which you'll, de you'll destroy the old one. We'll take care of it. We drill holes through them. Well, they didn't. It went to Chicago to be processed, and it was found on eBay. Somebody bought it and called uh, the gentleman and said, I have your old computer hard drive, and I also have every bit of personal information about you, because using some very simple forensic tools, which we, we use when we look at hard drives, he found all the stuff that was deleted. It's not really deleted. It's still there. You just can't see it because the computer... The way it reads data has to look for certain uh, characters, and if it doesn't see a certain character in a certain order, the computer says the document's not here. It's really there. We can see it. So can the thieves. And so here's a situation where you have a guy who went to Best Buy, thought that it was being taken care of, and lo and behold, it wasn't. So you need to do something with those old hard drives. And the best thing for you to do is take it out of the computer, or have your kids take it out of the computer, or somebody who knows going to take it out, and hit it with a hammer, and, and we smash the heck out of it, or... Take a big magnet. They're called uh, uh, tape degaussers. Just take this huge thing that looks like on the old cartoons, you know, like a, like a horseshoe. They actually look like a big shoebox. You just stick it right on top of the hard drive, and the magnetic pulses will wipe out the data. But you have to do that in order to get rid of that data. Otherwise, somebody else is going to be able to use it. It used to be that the laptop would be stolen. They'd sell the laptop um, for a couple of bucks. Nobody cared about the hard drive. Now they want the hard drive. And they'll sell that to one person. They'll sell the, hard, uh, the laptop to somebody else. Let's assume for the moment that we have done those tips. We've, you know, we've, we've limited our, as much as we can what we're uh, exposing ourselves to. Uh, well, we still want to check our credit. You get under federal law and under state law, you get a free credit report once a year. New Jersey, if you, a couple months ago, you were able to get it from New Jersey at, through New Jersey's law, but not the federal law. Now the federal law has caught up. Go to annualcreditreport.com. 
you can get your free credit report from all three credit bureaus. And Harry's saying it's in the package, so you don't have to write it down. There's a phone number, and if you want to mail them the request, you can mail them at that address, which Harry says is in the package. You want to see it from all three because each of the credit bureaus, the major three credit bureaus, each has a little bit of different data in there. You want to make sure that everything is what you expect to see in there by way of your credit, not somebody else's uh, accounts. So you want to make sure that you look at everybody's, all three um, credit bureaus. And that's where, yes? not easy. The Federal Fair and Accurate Credit Transactions Act, called FACTA, has re now required the credit card companies to be a lot more user-friendly with uh, cleaning up problems in people's credit uh, reports, but it went into effect too recently for them to have really understood the problem, and I believe they're working on that. But it, they don't really want to remove things that quickly because you still need to prove that you didn't open that account. They still want the documented proof that it's not your signature, it wasn't you, and until you give them a whack of paper from either yourself or some lawyer, they're, the credit bureau is saying, it's you. As far as we know, it is you, and I'm not going to take it off my credit bureau's database until you have established for me that it's not you. And we're going to talk about some of the things that you need to do in order to, to require the, the credit bureaus to take it off, and to show them that this is, this is a serious uh, matter for you, and this is not you just being a fraudster trying to get things off of your credit report without proof. These are the addresses, and if Harry says you can get them in the materials, I don't need to go through it. If anybody needs it and it's not all of it's there, I'll be happy to, uh, to provide it later. Internet safety. If you are shopping on the Internet, uh, these are the three programs I want you to, to have. Uh, one of them is Zone Alarm. It's free. AdAware is uh, something that removes spy programs that are always being put on your computer by autonomous viruses that come in and you download them when you visit various websites that just kind of dump stuff in as part of the, um, the screen, uh, this, this program will find them and remove them. And the last one, SpyBot Search and Destroy, is just another wipe of your computer that AdAware, sometimes they find things that SpyBot doesn't find and vice versa. But those are the three things, if you're working on the internet, you want to have. And that should help protect you from hackers trying to come in. The Zone Alarms Firewall, it's, it's free, it's an excellent product, but it hides you from the internet. So if somebody is surfing the internet trying to find some way of breaking into your computer, to see what your banking information is and your email addresses and whatnot, Zone Alarm is the, is the one to go with. You don't have to spend lots of money on Symantec and, and, and Nortons and whatnot. This is the one that we use, uh, and uh, it works very well. Um, identity theft insurance. Frankly, your homeowner's insurance is going to provide you with something these days, about $25,000. Uh, so if you are compelled to pay something because either it wasn't purchased by credit card where they're picking up most of the tab, it's something outside of any kind of indemnity program that a company is giving you. Your insurance company will have, more likely than not, you're going to have coverage there for the actual dollars lost. You can purchase identity theft insurance in the open market. Sometimes costs between $130 and $500 a year. I'm not really thrilled about any of the products that I've seen. They are more of a you do it, try to repair my credit, as opposed to, all right, I'll take care of writing the letters program. It's not really insurance. It's, it's um, you get a helping hand, so to speak. The numbers I've given you, and there's some more things are coming up, with the information you have tonight, you don't need to spend that kind of money on the identity theft insurance programs. Uh, if you get your credit report once a year, 
that's a good start. We'll talk about one other thing that you should get. It does cost a few dollars, but these insurance products you'll be you'll see coming either in the mail or on television. Uh, you, I would suggest you talk to your attorney before you buy it, because your attorney may say to you, you know what, I can do that for you. It, on the chance that you get your identity stolen, it's not going to even cost that much money for us or my paralegal to take care of writing the letters, and there's a lot you can do yourself. So be mindful of what's being sold, because this is such a hot topic. There are entrepreneurs trying to tackle it and make some money on it. Um, yes? Well, that's they normally track you by date of birth. I don't know why why your doctor is also requiring a social security number. They won't do every and, one of them, and they don't want to complete the, uh, the application without it. Well, that's as I suggested earlier. If you want the bank loan and the bank says I want your social, you got to give it to them. If this is what your doctor is saying, this is the only way I can access the records or su submit the claim for Medicaid or Medicare or in health insurance, whatever it is, if that's what the process requires, there's nothing much more you can do about it other than providing it to them and crossing your fingers that they've done background checks on their employees and they don't have somebody in there who's going to steal it. Once it leaves their office, though, and it goes to the insurance company, again, you've got a risk. But that's that may be the, the, the basis for it. Yes? New Medicare trying to put uh, this, all the Medicare information <laughs> online, and they don't even want to give the doctor paper remittances because it's easier for them to deal with your computer versus their computer. Most of the physicians don't use the highest personnel people in intelligence to run their computers, and this is going to be open access to people's social security numbers and all their vital information getting into the Medicare system and then someone hacking or getting into these um, patient profiles. And they made it very difficult for you to opt out of this system. I chose to do it, but it took me many, many hours to opt out of that, and that's going to be a problem in the near future. I can tell you that for a fact, because once that computer is live and is talking to Medicare, then anyone who works for Medicare is going to be able to get that information, like you said. Well, hopefully the uh, Medicare personnel, HR department, is going to have a nice lecture with their employees, uh, ethics training, and hopefully encrypted information so that only people who are using and need access to that information can get access to it. You just can't go surfing their database, but it, it may ultimately become Medicare a problem. Medicare is not hiring people with the highest no. intelligence <laughs> It's going to be a problem. That's what, going back to the beginning, user-friendly, versus security, at some point we have a collision. Homework, I know that a lot of you are getting junk mail and you're wondering how can I get rid of it. You've done the, you've called the do not call list for your telephone call so you can enjoy dinner and Sunday mornings. Uh, this is what you want to uh, do to get out of the direct mail pieces, the, the pre-approved credit, the mortgage application offers. Uh, this is the, um, this is the site you need to go to and if it's not in, if it is not in the materials, I'll be happy to provide uh, Harry with some uh, contact information that you should use uh, to get the junk mail reduced from your house. I did this a year ago, and it's amazing how little I get now. Uh, even during the holidays, I've got very, very, very few magazines, much to my wife's dismay. But we got very few magazines. You know, It's not that you can't find the stuff on the Internet anyway. Uh, but that is another way of reducing your information that is in somebody else's hands, because this 
database, then sells that information to others who sell to others who sell to others. And ultimately, if there's personal information in there, uh, it can come back to bite you. So if it happens, let's, again, we've now talked about a variety of other things we can do besides you know, the, the simple things about your mailboxes and what, what to carry in your wallet, what not to carry. Talked a little bit about internet security. So it happens. All right, you get the credit bureau report and it says, oh my goodness, there's five accounts that I never opened. You get the phone call from Verizon that says, Mr. Brenner, how come you haven't paid your cell phone bill for your apartment in Arizona? I don't have an apartment in Arizona. We don't care. You came in and you got a, you got a cell phone and you're using it in Arizona. So what are you going to do with what happens? First thing you're going to do is you're going to, I would say first thing you do is you're going to call your lawyer, but um, I stopped practicing law three years ago, so the heck with it. Um, contact the credit bureaus and put a fraud alert on them. This is what I see when I do my investigations and I do credit report. I do you know, look at people's credit reports for purposes of employment screening. I see fraud alerts. That means somebody has had their identity compromised. It goes on the three bureaus. That way, when somebody else is checking your credit, like you want to get a car loan, you want to get a bank loan, anything that has to do with credit, they'll see on there that it says fraud alert. And then anything that's on that credit bureau report, you have an opportunity to explain to that company, I put it on there after these things happened, and here's all the paperwork I had to to um, show that it wasn't me. The In New Jersey, the police now are obligated. They must take a police report from you. So first thing you're going to do after you found out your identity has been stolen, besides calling the credit bureau, you're going to fill out a police report. And that is part of the package you're going to be sending to these creditors trying to prove that this is what happened. This is how I, this is how we believe it happened. Uh, there is a Federal Trade Commission has a fraud affidavit, several pages long. But again, it is a very detailed questionnaire that will help establish for you the fact that you did have your identity stolen or that your account was taken over. And you're going to use that fraud affidavit as part of your package to send to these creditors or your lawyer is going to send this information to the creditors to establish your good name again. Uh, you're going to contact your insurance carrier because you might have insurance, as I mentioned before, or other provider if you did buy some credit theft insurance. Uh, there is a company out there that is selling prepaid legal services, and you're, you get a lawyer with it. I'm not, I'm not, again, thrilled with that particular product, but if you want to spend the money just as an, another added layer, give them a call, let them start the process. And then you're going to contact those businesses that appear on that credit report that are not yours, or the bills you get from Verizon or from a car if, you, if somebody got a loan in your name. You got to contact them and explain to them that this is identity theft. And here's the paperwork. Here's my police report. Here is my fraud affidavit. Um, check the credit bureau. It tells you that it's a fraud alert. And you have to start rebuilding your credit. The problem is that it will continue to happen because your name, social, date of birth, whatever you, whatever information was taken from you, is still going to be used by that perpetrator again and again and again, and open up more accounts. And if they manage to get a creditor who is not going to play by the rules i.e. call you, because now there's a fraud alert on the, uh, on the account. They're gonna call, they should call you and say, so-and-so is here trying to get a loan. Is it you? Is it your family member? There are obviously creditors out there who are not going to play like that. They're just going to sell them the product and either they're part of the scam and they're going to keep part of the proceeds, but your, your, your identity is still going to be subject even after you've repaired it the first time. It can happen again. So you have to be mindful and keep an eye on it. Some numbers to keep, which I don't know whether they're in the, they're in the material. Credit Bureau, so you want to opt out at the Credit Bureau level, you want to opt out of them selling your information. Remember the beginning I had a screen about Kirk Smith? Well, a lot of that data about Kirk Smith comes from the Credit Bureau. So if you opt out 
the credit bureau is going to stop selling that data to the people I'm buying my data from, and I won't be able to find out where you've moved to. That's how I get address histories. I, find, I follow your credit cards. The FTC, you want the ID theft reports. That was the, uh, yeah, the fraud affidavit. U.S. do not call list. Hopefully all, all of you have done that. Social Security, in case you see that there is something amiss on your Social Security Administration statement, that there is a, an amount there that's greater than what you had earned. And then my company's at the bottom, in case you have any questions, uh, keep that. Uh, that's what I have. Uh, if anybody has any questions, I'm uh, open to, uh, to answer them if I can. Yes? for your social, they'll, and I'll say, you know, no, I don't want to give you my social. They'll say, well, how about the last four digits? Now, what do you say to that? Well, the last four digits, the fact of the matter is, if you're calling them, they have your credit, you have your social security number anyway. Right. So they should, they're asking from you to verify that who you are. The four, last four digits are fine. What they may ask you is, tell me what the last two purchases were. And that's also okay if you don't right. want to give them the social security number again, because you don't really know who you're talking to, but right. more often than not, I'm not all that concerned when I'm calling Citibank, giving them my social again. They have it. I just want, the, and I sometimes I say to them, "Well, what do you have?" And I go, "Yeah, that's right." Yes, it goes down. You mentioned single-use uh, credit card numbers. Uh, I use uh, Citibank's extensively, but also I understand Discover now offers one, um, and uh, I use it not only for purchases over the internet. But if I'm buying something or ordering theater tickets or something over the telephone, I sit down at my computer and generate a one-time use number before I make the phone call and then use it. Those numbers are not only single use, but they have a 30-day expiration. And I just want to make that suggestion. That's, a, that's an excellent point. I, and I would not have thought about doing that for the over-the-phone uh, purchases. That's a very good suggestion. Um, and I don't know if Discover is still offering that. I remember calling one of the card companies in preparation for do this. Do you want to explain that? Do you want to explain what that single use means? Well, the single use, I, I mentioned it. Uh, I'll get to you. In, uh, I'll get to you next. Let me just let me finish the um, explanation. The single credit card use, uh, as I said, Citibank has it. I believe Discover had it. One of the credit, major credit card companies had it and got rid of it. They said nobody was using it. But you can, based upon your current credit card account, you can call up the company and they'll give you a single-use, one-time-only credit card number linked to your account uh, that you can use. And you use it the one time, either, as the gentleman said, on the telephone to buy your theater tickets or on the Internet to buy whatever merchandise you want. And then it's done. You have to call again. If you're going to buy two things that night, you have to get two numbers. Citibank lets you download a little piece of software into your computer. And I have it in both of our computers. And all I have to do is click on an icon, and this little thing comes up and asks for my username and, and password, and then asks whether I want to generate a number. And it generates it right there, and it saves it. And uh, I could always refer back to it to see what number I generated for what purpose. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very good use of it. I have one credit card I use with a low balance, so I haven't bothered to, to uh, utilize that service. But that's terrific. So Citibank is the one to call then. Congratulations. India, I'm not so concerned about because they have some very, very intense security protocols over in India as far as what people can bring in and bring out of these call centers. So there are a few companies in India that I'm not really all that worried about. Uh, we have a, an affiliate in India, and they do the screening for that company. So I know what they go through. I don't know anything about El Salvador. I would be very nervous about it. 
But if that's where U.S. Air has decided that's where their labor costs are the cheapest and that's where they put this person, so be it. But now you have to mitigate your risk and that being possibly the single-use credit card or a, a credit card with a low balance. In that case, I don't know where you're flying. You might need more than $1,500, but um, maybe that single-use credit card is, is the way to go. And, and that's the answer for the industry right now. Would it make sense to just go in and change the credit card right now? Because it's not a low number use. It's a risk. It's a risk benefit to you. I mean, how much um, risk reward? I mean, if it takes you a few minutes to change it, then change it. If it's going to be a lot long involved process and it's going to affect other things, I just can't give you an answer. It, it is El Salvador, and I don't know anything about that country. But at the same time, uh, it is a major credit card, and if it gets stolen, you are protected under the U.S. laws as far as your 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 loss. So if you have an actual um, monetary loss, but still a risk that, that will be used over and over again and potentially linked to other data about you that they can get other information and other credit elsewhere off of that one credit card number. So, I'd yes. like your feedback on three recommendations that I've come across. One of them is the next time you order checks, have only your initials instead of your first name and last name put on the check. That way if somebody takes your checkbook, they won't know if you sign your checks with just your initials or your first name but the bank will know how you sign your checks. Does that make sense? Well, ultimately, the processing bank, not the one that you actually deposit it with, but the guy who's actually processing it, taking the money out of your account, yes, they'll know that it's a not your signature, but they process millions of checks a day. The odds that they may, it may get through is there. And Check 21 eliminated the fact, Check 21 is a statute that the past, it went into effect last year. It eliminates the bank's requirement that they send you back your checks that's why you may not be getting them anymore. Well, in the fraud world, it makes my life really hard because now I don't have a real check to use as evidence. I have to go to these images. And since it's now all electronic, the idea that somebody's going to check it, it may not happen as often. So it is a, another, it's a good suggestion, but at the end of the day, there's still a risk because you have to wait for the bank employee to, to flag it or a computer program that the bank can match that signature with the one on file and say, this isn't it. But how many times have you signed your name the same way all the time? I've signed things that are differently and it's gone through. Second uh, recommendation was do not sign the back of your credit cards. Instead, put photo ID required. Every one of the credit cards I've signed, the signature's wiped off and they continue to process it anyway. So I don't know whether that's good or not. Citibank had a photo of me on my pick, on my credit card years ago. Better, but if, if they offer it, what the heck? Let's take take that. I can still, I can, the manufacturer, remember the circles that I showed you? The manufacturer can still take your name, your your credit card, and put somebody else's picture on that. It doesn't really matter because you go to, you live in New Jersey, but the card's going to be used in California. How do they really know that it's you, you know, your picture on the other credit card? So it's it's better than not doing anything, but at the same time, you can. Not too effective. The third thing is, could you expand more about putting a freeze on one's credit report? The freeze on the credit report in New Jersey, in the New Jersey's Identity Theft Protection Act, which went into effect January 1 of this year, allows you to put a, a freeze on your credit report. And that means nobody can give out credit uh, on your name and social, your account, without calling you first. I mean, just, it's it. It's done. It's locked down. That's great. But when you need it, you have to unfreeze it and it costs $5. And you want to do it one day, you want to do it a week later, and a week later, you have to do it every time in order to unfreeze that account. So it's an inconvenience. We want that user-friendly, I want it now kind of a lifestyle. But the credit freeze is an option. And if you are one that is, if you're somebody who, who can be patient, then the credit freeze is a good idea. 
the loan, the car loan, the credit card company, all of them, they all have to call you. If they're going to change your address, they have to call you. So all that kind of stuff comes right back to you. So that's, it is a, a useful tool, but there is, you know, the downside to it, and that is you have to pay for it, and it kind of slows the process down if you really need that car this afternoon. Uh, Jeff, do you want to mention about the room, the hotel room keys, the uh, the cards that they give you, and what's when they when you swipe it? Um, don't they have your personal information on those home on those hotel keys? I don't know if you heard about this. What hotels are you staying at? <laughs> My understanding is when you get the hotel key, the the one that you swipe has your credit information on it or personal information. That's new to you, right? That's new to me. Okay, oh, great, that's more business. All right. That you should keep the key and, and not turn it back in. There you go. Now I've learned something. Thank <laughs> okay. you. Sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Well, as we saw from the Department of Justice, it could be the, you know, the boyfriend girlfriend setup. Uh, the you know, the international crime rings are certainly uh, very in, uh, involved in this. Overseas in Africa, uh, Nigeria is a hotbed for this, and they they are really a big problem. And the Nigerian government's corrupt to begin with, so nobody's really doing anything about it. But we're the ones they're targeting. And they also know that not only are they targeting us, that there's mega dollars backing all those purchases anyway, and it's really not coming back to you anyway. So there's no incentive for the people in Nigeria you know, to, to enforce these laws. Um, so it is big time, but at the same time, I don't know who stole the VA computer. And that's just some punk who went into a house and saw a hard drive. And then he reads all the emails, all the notices about what he had, and goes, wow, I really got gold here. I just thought I had a $1,500 laptop. But I think there was also an article, one of the articles I read said that the disks, you know, the floppy disks or the, the uh, hard disks that were uh, with the computer were also taken. So it wasn't like somebody just took the laptop. They actually took the floppies with it. So I think somebody might have really known what was going on. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just a, a, a random burglary. But that's just one guy out of, you know, that's not, may, not, may or may not be tied to organized crime. Let me go back to the barter system. Yes, barter system. Like this, I got dinner, and I'm coming here to speak. <laughs> uh, more curiosity question. When Choice Point or DSW loses the information, does anything happen to them? I mean, other than they spend a few thousand dollars for postage to tell you that somebody stole it. The prosecution, there is no private right of action for us to sue the, these companies when they lose it uh, under the statutes. There is an argument, obviously, they were negligent, but the, it's up to the attorneys general, it's up to the federal government to say, you violated the federal statutes or the state statutes, we're going to take action against you, and there are hefty penalties that they can be charged with. The question is, is it politically savvy to do that? Did the company respond quickly enough when it happened? Have they put a new, new procedures in place? Do we really want to soak them for another million dollars worth of fees? That's really up to the, uh, the litigators at the federal and state level. So. What really happens is those companies now see that best practices are to do various steps, things that we tell them to do, what we talked about here, uh, how to protect your data more, encrypt the data, don't let people take laptops home. There's lots of things that, that are now becoming best practices that these companies are seeing have to be done, and it's no longer, there's no repercussions to it. So we, now you have to send the letter to the, to the affected customers. Before that, you didn't have to. You just didn't have to. New Jersey now requires that New Jersey consumers who are whose data is stolen or lost or compromised here in New Jersey, you get notice when that happens. Same thing in California, which started the choice point mess. And it's going to happen in more and more states. It's going to be required. So I've done some risk assessments where we've gotten to the point of, okay, what do we do? Well, do we have to tell everybody? No, not in your state, unless not. We'll worry about a litigation later, but I'm not going to announce it. So we got to the point of in this, this assessment of what we're going to do next by way of 
containing this fraud was we're not doing anything. The company didn't want to bring the publicity. Thank you, Jim. In the interest of time, I just want to get to this uh, recommendation sheet. Uh, but please join me in thanking Jeff Brenner for his presentation. Thank you, Jeff. I want to point out, we, we did pass around the recommendations. We think in view of the information that's out there, uh, we wanted to put down in writing what we think you should be doing. In your packet, there is information about what New Jersey and Pennsylvania passed in terms of their identity theft statutes. There's also some information about what to do if your identity is stolen. What we would like to know, of course, if you think your identity is stolen, to notify us immediately, because there's some things that we may need to do at our end. But in that packet, there's enough information to get started on what you should be aware of. But most importantly, uh, we did put together our summary re recommendations, which pretty much as a result of, of Jeff's work with us and a lot of work with, uh, with Pat and Jackie putting this together for us. Uh, one, obtain a free copy of your credit report three times a year. For That's both. For stuff. everybody, right, for everybody in the family, really, that has credit. Shred, obviously, we, you know, we're, we're big into shredding at Pinnacle. Uh, as you know, we have a shredding day every once in a while. We think you should shred everything that has any kind of numbers on it at all. With respect to uh, recommendations that Jeff made, opt out of unsolicited offers. Uh, we have the information there. We think you should opt out, uh, particularly the junk mail, the free credit card, pre-approved credit cards. You should opt out of all of that. Uh, that will reduce a lot of potential risk for you. The do not call list we mentioned. The number two, uh, Pat uh, really came up with a great idea. Freeze the credit for any elderly individual who has a low need for new credit. It also applies to children, number three, you see on there. If you have a young child, there's absolutely no need for credit, you should freeze it because there's a possibility that identity could be stolen and people can rack up uh, charges against that child's social security number that don't show up until he really apply, he or she really applies for a credit card in the future. And lastly, enroll in a credit card monitoring service. Uh, they're relatively inexpensive. We think that's about the best protection, as Jeff said, to, to monitor what's happening with your credit. So it's relatively inexpensive, uh, it's $6 a month or something like that for each, for each person, person, but you have to enroll everybody in the family that has credit. So we think that's your best protection. I think Jeff, Jeff would agree. And there's, and there's information in your material on it. Right. That. Everything is in your packet. Yeah. When's your next shredding day? <laughs> generally have it, is it on there? I, I think uh, Pat has uh, September for shredding day. Yeah, September, coming up. And we shred on site. Yeah, just to be clear, they, we do shred on site. The big truck pulls up, everything gets loaded in, there's a TV screen, Pat sits there for a couple of hours while they, they shred it all and she makes sure she gets the receipt when it's done. We usually bring sandwiches and have a picnic outside. Any other questions? I only carry one credit card, even though I, I have them with them when, in my name. But I only carry one with me at any given time. Okay, Harry. Yeah. Well, also, in your packet, uh, you'll find this family credit monitoring checklist. So if you want to keep track, don't forget there are three credit card agencies. You're entitled to one free credit report from each one. So actually, you can check your credit not once a year, but three times a year for for you know each person. So we decided to put a little checklist together for you to track it. So that's if you want to do it yourself. The other way, there is this credit card uh, monitoring service that's in your packet. I think it's called Triple Alert. It's the one the CPAs gave to us. It's five bucks a month. And they'll monitor any, anybody going to your credit card, getting any information, making any changes, and alerting you. 
So if you don't want to go through this hassle, you could spend, I guess, for two people, 10 bucks a month, and they'll, and they'll keep you posted. You know, for instance, if we're both on the same credit card, do we still have to check for both names or just one? Well, if you have... I think the answer is check both, right, Jeff? Right. Both social security numbers. You're going to need to check both social security numbers uh, if, for the credit card monitoring service. The other thing, although um, we, we think you should have your credit report anyhow, if you're just starting out and you've never gotten a free credit report, you should get it anyhow. The credit monitoring service is going to work on a forward basis going forward. You should get your credit reports. If you haven't done it, get the free credit report immediately because that will show you what's there now. And maybe there's some cards that are out there you can close down. Maybe there's something out there you don't like or an old loan that's still showing up as being not canceled. Get the free credit report as soon as you can for every person in the phone. And yeah, Dave? So you guys are all happy with putting your credit card on the, I mean, your social security number on the computer and we get these credit reports. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you've got to go on, you got to put a lot of personal information on the computer, you've got to send it through. Um, you're okay with all that? Okay, well, you heard it from the expert. <laughs> yeah, eventually, you know. I think the here. I think what I, I think the way to go about this is saying your information's out there. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you got to do your online banking. You know, it's out there, and the only thing you can do is protect yourself. And we just gave you some ideas, and just be vigilant, monitor your credit report, see what's going on, try to limit your exposure. Uh, one credit card, not, don't have hundreds of credit cards. Uh, so there's basic things you can do, but, you know, you're being attacked. And uh, if you go with that in mind, you know, you'll survive. I mean, th there's a lot of great things about uh, the Internet and having access and all this wonderful stuff out there, but there's a tremendous dark side that we have to now live with. So this is just another procedure you're going to have to live with in order to protect yourself. And hopefully, um, you know, nothing happens, but uh, you need to do it today, and that's... That's why we thought this uh, session was important for you. Hopefully it was helpful to you. Jeff and I and everybody here are here to help you out. If you have any questions on any of the material that you have here, we have access to Jeff Brenner if you have any questions or any hang-ups or anything. Uh, but this is now part of your life, and this is one extra step that you're going to have to take care of. You can delegate it by, by doing the monitoring service or doing this once a year, hopefully, and nothing else will happen. So I'd like to thank everybody for attending. Hopefully it was informative. We do have a survey we'd like you to complete. Now you don't have to leave it at the door if you don't want, but we have an envelope. We'd love to have your feedback. We want to do a few more every year, uh, obviously on other subjects, hopefully more positive. <laughs> but <laughs> but I, I hope this was informative and uh, you're, you guys are now going to be protected. Thank, thank you very much. That concludes this Pinnacle Financial Advisors podcast program. We hope you enjoyed the presentation by Jeff Brenner of Intellisys Corporation. For more information on Pinnacle Financial Advisors, or if you have comments or questions about these podcasts, or if you'd like to receive the materials that were distributed to the audience at the live presentation, please call Pat at Pinnacle. Her number is 856 797 8082 extension 222, or you can email info at pfacentral.com. You can also visit Pinnacle's website. That's www.pfacentral.com. On behalf of Pinnacle Financial Advisors, 
This is Steve Lubetkin. Thanks for listening and take good care.